Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 28. As we continue with godly wisdom for everyday life. And as you know, I've been excited about teaching through this book and about all the application that we can make through the wisdom that is, is taught through the Proverbs. So we're going to jump in in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues but the righteous are bold as a lion. So right here we see sort of the paranoia of the wicked because they're fleeing even when no one's chasing them. So it's like there's an accuser around every corner for someone who's committed wickedness. And in their minds, they just have this idea that uh, you know, there's there's somebody that's gonna that's gonna uh, catch them. Then it's probably the overwhelming burden of guilt that they have. Um, that's many times is more punishment on their on their minds than actually getting caught. Um, on the other hand, this this verse tells us that a righteous person has a clear conscience, and they can be confident and they can be bold that he's done right in the Lord's eyes. You know that when you, you've done well and that when you've been obedient to God and that when you've been walking righteously, you know that you, know, you just have that clear conscience. It's just a settled thing. And how um, you know, you're, not, you're not paranoid. You're not looking around every corner thinking that someone's going to find out what you've done because you're living a righteous life. Verse 2, Because of the transgression of a land, many are, are its princes, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. So this speaks about the sins of a nation, the sins of the people, and how, you know, when society starts to go down further and further into immorality, how it can cause upheaval in the land. You know, many will contend for the position of a leader, thinking, thinking they can do a better job, where it says there, many are its princes. You know, they think, well, you know, this, the nation is crumbling. The nation is going down into ruin, and I can do a better job. And more and more people will try to vie for that position. And then we start to see um, things broken up into parties, and, and, uh, and they smear one another. And we've seen that more and more, I think, recently in politics, that, you know, they look at the state of the nation and... Somebody thinks they can do a better job, and that's great, that's honorable, but in order to do that, they kind of they, they bite each other's back. And we see that played out in our country. But we know God will um, sometimes allow an unra- unrighteous nation to go down into decline. Why? Because they've turned their backs on Him. But those who live according to God's ways and rule with righteousness will be sustained by the Lord. And the land will be healed. So, you know, we pray for righteous leaders. And we pray for people who 
follow the Lord and will rule according to his ways. And it doesn't always happen. It's very rare that we see a leader get into office who really follows the ways of the Lord. But we pray for that. And we pray that he, he will sustain them through that. You know, Second Chronicles 7.14, a very uh, well-known verse, but it just speaks to that. It says, if my people who are called by my name, that's Christians, that's believers, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And that's what we should be doing as believers. We should be humbling ourselves, knowing that God is the only one who can fix these things in our world. And we need to lift up our leaders in prayer. We need to seek God's face. And then he says, and turn from their wicked ways. And we need to confess our own sin. See, it says in that verse in Proverbs that the transgression of a land, a land, in other words, the sin of the people can cause the nation to go into ruin. So we turn from our wicked ways. And then it says, I will hear from heaven. And boy, that's just a relief that God hears our prayers and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So we see this played out. Unfortunately, we see most of the time it played out in the other direction where you know, leaders are corrupt and the people are in sin and the land is just, just continues to go down into decline. Verse 3, a poor man oppresses the poor. A poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. So, you know, how... How wicked can you be if you're in poverty or if you're um, struggling that you're going to actually oppress someone else who's in the same position that you're in? You would expect a person who knows poverty to be compassionate, to be kind-hearted to others that are in the same place that they're in. But sometimes, many times, we we see that there's no empathy uh, of people. They just... They're just as cruel to ones who are going through the same thing they are than they would be to someone else. It's just the evil of man. It says in verse 4 and 5, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. So we see this relationship here between those who practice evil and those who give praise or approval to their deeds. So they're, they're kind of equal in the Lord's eyes um, that you, know, you either you commit evil acts or you approve of those who do. Even if someone's not actually committing those wicked acts, but they agree or approve of them, they're equally guilty. Um, it reminds me of the verses in Romans in chapter 1. And see if this doesn't line up here with these verses in Proverbs. In, in verse 29, uh, Paul writes, Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. So these, he's ta- Paul's given an extensive list here of those who commit wicked acts, like, the, like it says in the Proverbs, those who forsake the law praise the wicked. So 
He goes on, Paul here in verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. So you may understand that those who are practicing those evil things deserve judgment of God, but not only do the same, Paul writes, but also approve of those who practice them. So he's putting some sense of equality here between those who do the evil deeds and those who approve of, um, of those things or, give or praise those things. And it, and it says here, too, that the reason people commit evil acts is because they choose not to understand God. They choose not to seek God. He's the one who's going to give wisdom. He's the one who's going to lead and guide by his Holy Spirit that we can walk in righteousness. It says in Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, and his praise endures forever. So we see here that you know, God's the one who's going to lead us into walking in righteousness. Verse 6, Better is the poor who walks in integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he may be rich. So we see God measuring wealth in a different way than man does. Don't we always see that? We look at temporal things. We look at material things while God looks at eternal things. And God looks at the heart. Now, again, we, we've gone through Proverbs for the better part of a year or more, and we know that these are general statements, not necessarily promises. So, of course, the poor are not always upright, and the rich are not always corrupt. But this is just showing us that comparison, that integrity is always of more value than worldly riches. So if you, if you desire to be seen well in the, in the eyes of, of others, then be a person of integrity. They're gonna, you're going to get a lot more respect from people than if you just had material things. And the danger of earthly riches, the danger of material things, can be that we'll forget about God, you know, because we feel we have no need for God. And it reminds me of, you know, the church of Laodicea when Jesus wrote the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. And, you know, just thinking about, you know, you have no need. You have everything materially in this world. And will you seek God in that instance or will you forget God? In, in chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 17 in, in Revelation, Jesus says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true, witness the beginning of the creation of God. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, that's the real um, characteristics of someone, but they don't see that. They think, think they have everything. One commentary I read on that verse says, we may say that it all began with their spiritual blindness. If you're blind, you can't look at yourself and see that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. 
Mental darkness is worse than a loss of sight, but a loss of spiritual vision is even worse. Not to be able to see the real state of, of who you are and to think that you're okay, uh, to think that you're, you know, that maybe earthly riches or material things um, will give you value when it really won't. Verse 7, whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. So we've seen several times here about the, uh, the relationship between the actions of a child and what that speaks to the parents. The, it says in this one that the actions of a child will either bring honor or shame to the parents. Two choices. Follow the law of God and walk uprightly, and you bring honor upon your, your family, or keep company with worldly and immoral people, and eventually it'll corrupt you, right? And it'll also bring shame upon your friends and family. Verse 8, one who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. So God has a way, and we may not see it all the time, we may not even see it in our lifetime, but God has a way of turning the tables on those people who are immoral who, or who gain their possessions and their wealth um, through, through ill-gotten ways. Um, he has a way of turning that around and making good on that. And actually, many times, um, those, the riches that he gains will be eventually given to the poor. So riches gained through wicked means will not last. They'll eventually, eventually repayment will be made. And if not in material things, certainly in spiritual things. Verse 9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You know, that's hard for us maybe to, to understand or even accept that how can our prayer be an abomination to the Lord? It, this, this is kind of telling us that if we continually refuse to obey the Scriptures, if we continually turn our ear away from God, He will turn His ear away from us. Just like any other relationship, you know, communication back and forth is necessary. You know, you wouldn't stay long in a relationship where the person never listened to you never listened to you, never even heard what you were saying. And you would eventually probably shut down in that type of relationship, especially in our relationship with the Lord. And not only does he want us to be hearers, but he also wants us to be doers of the word. And again, it's hard for us to fathom that, you know, our prayers would go, would fall kind of on deaf ears of the Lord, but uh, I think of Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. See, God is able to hear us. God is able to reach out and save us. But what does verse say, 2 say there? But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Not he cannot hear, 
but he will not hear. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought that we will get so deep into our sin, so deep into a lifestyle that's, that's um, dishonoring to God, that he will stop hearing our prayers. We never, never want to get to that point. Verse 10, whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. So again, we've seen over and over how God is going to make things right. God is going to harshly judge the person who tries to tempt a child of God to, to fall into sin, to go astray. But also bless, he will bless the one who does not succumb to that temptation. You know, we have things coming at us, you know, left and right every day of the week, things that can draw us away from God. And God's going to judge those who try to do that. But he's also going to bless the ones who are able to stay upright in their walk, uh, even despite everything that comes at us in the world. Verse 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. So again, another comparison here between the rich and the, and the poor. And many times the person may be shrewd enough to attain material wealth, but he'll become so proud of his accomplishments and so boastful that he's, he's wise in his own eyes. He thinks that because he was able to become wealthy, that he has some kind of wisdom beyond uh, other people. Says, uh, says, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. You know, the one who has wisdom, but not in material things, really is the one that has a treasure of much greater value than those material things. Verse 12, when the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. When the culture is corrupt, when the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, when the culture is righteous, all men benefit from that. All men. But when the culture is corrupt, it causes good men to shrink in their influence. Sometimes we feel like, you know, the society around us, the culture around us is just so corrupt that we just, we feel like a heaviness on us. What can we do? What can we do? And we kind of shrink away from trying to influence the culture. But you know, we look, sometimes we look at the culture as this big grand thing, or society as this grand thing, and we see it, we see it as corrupt. But our influence is not in this grand scale for the most part. It's on a one-to-one. It's those people that we get a chance to speak to. It's those people that we get a chance to affect and influence for the things of God. So we may not see on a grand scale, a societal scale, things getting better, but we, that can't cause us to shrink away from doing, from doing good. We need to be courageous as Christians in this, in this world that we live in. We need to stand up to the culture that's corrupting our society. If we don't do it, who will, really? because everyone then will be succumb to that, uh, to, to that corrupt uh, way of life. You know, the very, very famous quote 
uh, by Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. You know, imagine all of us who know the Lord, all of us who are walking with God and know the difference between righteousness and wickedness. Imagine if we all just stopped talking, stopped trying to influence people, stopped trying to have an effect on a one-on-one -on -one basis with others. How much worse this world would be, really. So I'm encouraging you, keep it up. You know, it may not look like there's much happening or there's much of an effect, but, but there is. Verse 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Eventually, all sin will be dealt with and all sin will be revealed. A person may, th may sin and think they've gotten away with it because... You know, they've covered their tracks and no one's caught up with them yet. But God will judge. God will judge. It says in Luke 12, verses 1 and 2, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they trampled one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Everything eventually will be revealed. You know, sometimes we think, you know, that, that evil thing that someone's done, it, they seem to skate. They not, it will never come out. They've covered their tracks. And no one's ever going to find out. Well, first of all, God knows. And secondly, He's going he's to make things right. Uh, the second part of that verse, verse 13, whoever confesses and forsakes them, forsakes their sin, will have mercy. You know, I love the fact that we see that other side of it. You know, for, for the one who sins and thinks they got away with it, they'll eventually get judged. But for the rest of us who sin and know that God knows and know maybe that we've affected others, uh, that we've hurt other people, when we, uh, when we do that and we confess, we know that we have restoration with the Lord. We know that God gives us a way of restoring our relationship, of getting right with Him. In 1 John 1, 9, it, it shows us that. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boy, that just sounds like a fresh start. You know, when we realize we've sinned, when we realized we've hurt somebody, and we go to the Lord and we confess our sins, boy, He's just always faithful. He'll forgive us and He'll cleanse us. That's what we need. We need that. We need that, we need that on a daily basis to move on, to do, to be encouraged, to continue to, to do what we are called to do as, as believers. Verse 14, happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the, the happiness of a person uh, is directly affected by his ability to walk uprightly and to live his life with a clear conscience. You know, you know that. You know that you're happier 
you know that you, you're more joyful when you have a clear conscience, when you don't have anything that's haunting you, um, something that you've done, something that you, uh, you know is sinful. You know, that just brings fear, it brings, brings anxiety, it brings apprehension into your life. Then that's the norm for someone who hardens his heart against the Lord. That's the norm for someone who uh, just is not going to confess, is not going to admit when they do something wrong. Uh, the next two verses are verses concerning the heart of the leaders of a nation. It says like a ro- in verse 15, like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. So a wicked, a wicked ruler here, we see, instills fear into the people. We see some, some rulers throughout history who just instilled so much fear into the people that the people would just crumble and actually do things that they normally wouldn't do because of the fear that, that the wicked ruler instilled into them. He'll exert power. He'll exert dominance over, especially over the poor, especially over the ones that he feels he has more power over because they don't have the recourse. They don't have the political clout to fight back. But a good leader is one who has wisdom, and he seeks to lift up the oppressed, not to stamp them down, not to make their lives harder and worse, but to lift them up. When Moses was filling positions, we talk about in, in the political realm, but we can also talk about uh, leaders within the, within the church. When Moses was filling positions to be judges over the people's issues, you remember he was overburdened with everybody coming to him and seeking counsel that his father-in-law uh, gave him some good godly advice uh, to sort of spread uh, the, the duties out to other people. In Exodus 18, verse 21, it says, Moreover, look at the, peop- look at the people that uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, told him to, uh, to seek out. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, that's good, that's the beginning of wisdom, men of truth, that's good, they won't lie to the people, hating covetousness, that means they're not in it for money or for some kind of worldly gain, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Those are good rulers, those qualities are what we want in our, in our rulers, not only in politics and in government, but certainly within, within the church. Hating covetousness was one of those characteristics. Uh, the next two verses, verse 17 and 18, speak of the consequences of sin. Uh, bur- a man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. Let no one, let no one help him. Whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. So here they're talking about murder. They're talking about shedding someone's blood. Certainly the, you know, the most serious crime that we can think of. Um, 
and it results in the most serious outcome. They're just gonna they're gonna flee into a pit, and no one's gonna help him out. You know, eventually that's gonna be the consequence of that sin. But any person who continues in in uh, in sin, in wickedness, will also fall. So a lot of people get so accustomed to, uh, to their sin that they believe that they're unshakable, that they believe that they will never fall. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in verses, uh, verse 12 of chapter 10, let, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we see that those who think that they've outsmarted uh, you or think that they're going to get away with it and they become very proud in that, eventually they're going uh, to fall hard. Uh, the next two verses, God is showing us here the importance of hard work and of patience in waiting for a good outcome. It says in verse 19, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So just here speaking, you know, very logically, very practically, you don't harvest the crops as soon as you plant the seed. It takes diligence. It takes hard work. It takes patience. So God is showing us that in all things, that's, those, those, those qualities are necessary, and they will produce um, a fruitful life. If we're faithful in perseverance and in patience and in diligence, God will reward us. And the same is true in spiritual things. If, we dil- if we're diligent in seeking the Lord, He will reward us. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking the Lord? Are you seeking after his ways? Do you desire him on a day, daily basis to, uh, to guide you and direct you in your life? Well, he's going to reward you for that. He's always faithful to do that. This, uh, this next verse, verse 21, sh- uh, just showing us wisdom regarding being biased in dispensing of justice. Practical things. It says, to show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. So, you know, there are some corrupt judges out there who, because they might know somebody or they can do them a favor, that they're going to uh, rule in a certain way. And, you know, for as little as a piece of bread, sometimes you can bribe someone to rule in your favor. Uh, you know, they would rather receive some type of benefit um, in their own life and disregard the truth. And that's the most important thing for someone who's um, judging others. And that's, that's that they consider the truth and then they pass honest judgment in those cases. Verse 22, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. 
So another verse here that just says, you know, if you're, if you, if you're evil and that's really your motivation for everything in life and you're just desiring to get wealthier and wealthier, um, you may not realize that eventually poverty will come upon you. And again, we see things in two different ways in the Proverbs. We see things on a practical level. We see things um, in, a, in the physical realm. But we also see things in a spiritual way. You know, certainly, um, you know, God is going to judge and spiritual poverty will come upon those who do, who do evil. And, you know, especially if you're seeking after wealth and seeking after wealth and that's your motivation for everything and you kind of step on everybody all the way up the ladder and there's a lot of people who will do that just seeking after riches. But, uh, you know, money can become a seducer of, of man. It be can become a tempter to him to do some crazy things. You know, in 1 Timothy, this is, a, a, again, a very oft-quoted uh, verse in, in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So you can, you know, you can strive after wealth and you can step on people all the way up. But eventually, you know, you're going to have a lot of sorrows in the end. And again, it may be materially, it may be spiritually, it may be just your guilt that eventually gets to you. But um, God is faithful to, uh, to work that out. Verse 23, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. This is... This is sometimes difficult for us to understand because we don't like to be on either side of this. We don't like to be the one who corrects. We don't like to be the one who rebukes, even though there may be, uh, it may be necessary. You know, when we have a good friend who we have a good relationship with and they're a believer and we see them going down the wrong path, it's really our duty as a good Christian friend to show them and to point that out in love. And, and it may require correction or rebuke. And it's not easy. And it certainly isn't pleasant to receive the rebuke. But this verse is telling us here that proper rebuke, proper correction, done according to the wisdom of God and with the right attitude and with the right motive is of more benefit than empty praise, than flattery. And that's what that flattery is there. It's empty. It'll not only benefit the person that you're correcting, but the giver can also know that they were faithful. They were faithful to their friend to show them the right path. You know, rebuke or correction uh, hurts at first but it brings long-term benefits that far outweigh. Flattery may satisfy a person momentarily, but in time they'll find out that those words were just empty. And I always think back to Proverbs 27, which we just did the last time, verse 6, and this is a verse that, you know, just it shows us that this, this, uh, this applies. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, 
but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And uh, I would rather be faithful in wounding a friend temporarily for the long-term benefit that that will bring out than to kiss them in deceit and flatter them and tell them everything is okay. And that's really, uh, that's really what those verses are talking about. Verse 24, whoever robs his father or mother and says, it's, it is no transgression, is this, the same as a companion to a destroyer. So this is just, you know, it's kind of rotten if your child is going to stoop so low as to rob uh, their parents. Um, and some of them might actually try to justify it by saying, well, it's going to eventually be mine anyway, so I may as well take it now. But that's really not, it doesn't compensate for the hurt or the damage that that, uh, that that can cause. The following two verses, verse 25 and 26, speak about the wisdom of trusting in the Lord instead of in our own strength. It says, He who is of, of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in his own heart is a, is a, is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. You know, when you trust in only yourself, and I, of course, in all of these, I put myself in in this same category. Whenever we trust in ourselves, there's, we can either gain a lot and be very, very proud, or it'll never, it'll never satisfy us because we're putting our trust in only ourselves. But we need to realize that it's God who orchestrates the affairs of our life. And he deserves the recognition. He deserves the honor for anything we've achieved. You know, we can trust in ourselves and we can take all the credit. You know, it reminds me of that clip in the movie where that doctor uh, said, I heal people, I should get the credit. You know, it's, you know, when we start to think, wait a minute, God is the one in charge. God is the one who oversees the affairs of this world. Uh, I don't really deserve the credit for anything except of being obedient to him and, and then giving him the glory for whatever gifts he's, he's given us to use. So he deserves the recognition and praise. Verse 27, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes has many curves. So God promises a reward to those who are generous and compassionate. And he'll always encourage us to be thoughtful and giving to people. And the Apostle Paul, as the church was starting to get, uh, get uh, underway uh, in the first century, he commended believers in the book of Acts for their generosity toward him. And he recited a quote from Jesus in order to inspire them. It says in Acts 20, verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we, we know that to be true. We know the blessings from serving others, the blessings from giving to others, uh, far outweigh those things that we may be able to receive. Uh, as we close up, verse 28, When the wicked arise, men hide themselves, 
but when they perish, the righteous increase. So we close with this verse, which kind of repeats the thought from verse 12, that wicked rulers will cause the righteous people to retreat and seek refuge and not speak up and not be bold, um, just, to, just to get by. Um, but when those wicked rulers are finally gone, the righteous will have an opportunity to raise up and to make things right. And again, we clo- I close with, the, with uh, the admonition to us all to pray for our leaders, that they will desire to rule with honesty and with integrity and to walk in the ways of the Lord. And so uh, that's something that we should be doing on a daily basis because we see the effect that it can have on an entire society. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.